Today I welcome Andrew Hoover, Head of School at the American International School of Chennai in India. In this episode, I discuss leading a school in different cultures, modelling sustainability in schools, growing leaders and having a futures plan that takes risks. Before working in international schools in Mumbai and Chennai, you worked in one in Japan. What drew you to pursue opportunities in different countries? You know, it's really uh, an urge that I developed before I went to college, which was I had this notion that I needed to be in the world. I had a perspective on my own experiences growing up that I had become provincial. Uh, and I don't mean that in a derogatory sense. I just I mean that in a way that when I went to college, I had a sense of my an accurate sense of myself of really lacking perspective on culture the dynamics of internationalism, of cross-cultural relationships. That was fair. I grew up pretty worldly, fairly worldly household. We talked and debated a lot, and I didn't really travel as a kid. And so when I went to college, I, was, I knew I was going to college to get myself into the world. I did that during college when I studied overseas and when I came back to the United States. I knew I needed to do that again. So I, the U.S. has this thing called Peace Corps. So I went to West Africa. So I lived in West Africa as a Peace Corps volunteer for two and a half years. You know, both of those experiences, I studied in Cairo. I came back from West Africa. And both of those experiences really helped me locate myself as a cultural person, a cultural agent. And that's been the sort of the core of pursuing a career internationally. Yeah, and I'd say it's, it's, it's also a vocation, it feels like, for some people in terms of travel, you know, rather than it just being the career, which is the job you're doing, the vocation is the cultural draw that you've got, the magnetism that each of these different geographies, places, people, communities bring. And that's obviously a real big addiction for you and, and others like you, that you feel that that's your place. Do you find it hard to think about home? And, you know, do you have a home anymore? Because you have so many homes because you spent most of your adult life away from where you were born. I mean, what are your thoughts around where your kind of north is? And will you eventually get back home to your birth home? So there's an answer to that question that I think is more with me with my parent hat on. There's an answer to that question uh, for me as somebody who thinks of themselves as an internationalist or globalist. For the latter, I don't think of home and a kind of a geographic centeredness in the same way that someone who has spent the entirety of their life, for example, for the most part living within, you know, 50 or 100 miles of where they were born. What I don't have is really, I don't have that fundamental familiarity, which I can relate to it. I understand it, but I don't really have it. So what I've developed is an ability to connect and have some degree of connectedness and comfort, if you will, in lots of different settings. And again, I don't put that out there as that's an advantage. That's where my life has led me. Now, as a parent, however, we've been very careful to give our kids a sense of geographic centeredness. So we do have a home. We've been going back there twice a year for almost 15 years, probably 15 years. So most of my kids' time growing up, even though they were they graduated AISC in Chennai, they were born in Japan, they do have a place they call home. It is our home. 
it does have a strong connection to it. I don't go there and have that, what I think of as that strong kind of familiarity. Instead, I even, even when I go there, I still feel like I've got one foot out. And that's been really a fascinating part of being a professional working overseas and also being a parent. And we've thought long and hard about that, really have wanted to make sure that our kids feel that sense of connectedness to a place in the way that we did when we grew up. And you're getting the benefits as a family and as a professional to be able to go off and and experience these wonderful different cultures. We talk about the global society. We talk about the world becoming smaller because of technology and the way that that's obviously hooked people together. This generation that we're stewarding, you know, feel more connected with the world than we probably ever did in a in a well-being in a positive way that they want to make a difference and we've seen that recently with what's been going on with all the different G7 summits with the COP26 that was was on recently there's a big movement for the youngsters to drive this planet do you feel that we're doing enough as adults to help them reach that ambition of making a difference to the world that's a really good question so i you know i asked myself a lot about that question as an educator so first of all, I, I think it's hard to make a clear generalization about that. International schools, this is one of the things that we do. I think those kinds of things happen all over the place, not just international schools. But I think one of the things that we do do in international schools is we are very much, we're containers of internationalism and we're containers of globalism. And so because that's the organic material within which we find ourselves. What we do with it as a school and as leaders and as educators at a school will matter a lot to what students take away from it. But the organic matter is we're very much uh, microcosms of global cultures. And so what is hard to avoid, if you're a student in international school, it's hard to avoid the opportunities to see fundamentally local things within larger context. This is part of the magic, I think, of what international schools do is that what the insight and perspective that we get to really hammer on is the connection between the local and the global. And, you know, I know I've seen my two kids go off in the world and we talk to students all the time and they leave our incredibly cosmopolitan and diverse and international environments. And they find themselves carrying a lot of naivete with that. They're insulated and they're isolated in their own ways. The ways that they're not is they get to see these connections between local and global in a way that if you're a student going to school where you grew up and yet that you have a very localized experience, you may not have that experience. You may have other very important perspective-taking experiences, but as international educators, I think we do do that well. And I think the exposure vis-a-vis media, social media, the sort of the, the, culture, the culture traps aside from those, they give young people the opportunity to see the world through different lenses and at the same time see the world through fresher eyes than, for example, our generation may have had. So I tend to be optimistic. I think there's a lot of idealism right now. Our young people in the world are reflecting the idealism that they are willing to embrace and some of the optimism that they're willing to embrace. And I also know the challenges are great and many as we, you know, as we look ahead to 
very ambiguous future on a number of fronts. Yeah. And I suppose, you know, you talk about media, social media, actually the alpha generation and, and the millennials who are coming through now, they have access at a platform now to be able to probably share their voice in a louder way than we ever were able to. So whilst we had beliefs, you know, driving change was difficult. And actually there's a positive there for social media, for social change that we're seeing with the youngsters. I know at the American International School of Chennai, that you have 950 solar panels around the campus that provide up to 22% of your daily power. Wow. Why is it important for schools to model sustainability to young people rather than just talk about it? So I talk about that a lot at our school. That is that there's a lot of personal responsibility that each one of us has to take in order to be a responsible person on the planet. And I also think the organization has some responsibility. So it is incumbent on us to act as a community and as an organization. I think environmental responsibility is, if not the most significant future challenge, current and future challenge, it is among the most. And I think it doesn't stop there. I think the disparity in wealth across the globe is a huge challenge that we have to talk about. We struggle to do that well in international schools because we tend to be our students and our faculty, we tend to be a privileged group. And only recently, particularly with the you know, opportunities for conversational inroads, are we really starting to have those conversations more seriously? That's a conversation I think that is behind the one about our responsibility to the environment. But you know, Simon, we've mentioned it, but disinformation networks, wow huge challenge right now as individuals and then as schools and organizations, we have to take that stuff seriously. The global public health, global and local public health challenge that the pandemic has only, it's made it real and it's made it uh, discernible. It's been there for a long time and now it's front and center and I don't think that's going to go away. So I think in, when you're a school that has, that is mission driven, you have to talk about the things that we do at those two levels. I'm not talking about polarities. I'm just talking about kind of levels of conversation, which is what am I going to do? What can we do as individuals? But also what does the organization do? And how can the organization take responsibility? Not just it is modeling, but it's also acting. It's acting into the challenge. And I think that's really important. Do you feel that schools put up invisible barriers? Because I can quite easily just say, oh, by the way, yeah, you put in 950 solar panels like it's like anybody can just roll up and do that. That's not an easy thing. You know, putting up one solar panel in a school must be difficult, but putting up so many, talk me through the challenges that you had to overcome to be able to introduce that. There's the financial one, obviously, but that aside, there must be cultural, there must be a lot of change going on. How did you go about that? And did you hit any barriers that you can share? So first of all, the community, you know, you find out a lot about your community when you start a conversation and the community was beyond, you know, ready for this. You know, as an example, when we banned single use plastics from the campus, we were talking about it. But, you know, I got a 350 letters from kids saying, you know, what are you doing? I think as an international school community, we were definitely ready for that in terms of like something like a thousand solar panels. There are junction points, right, in economies when things are very difficult on one side of that point and things become very, very doable on the other side. And it just so happens that 
self-contained solar, solar support has become very easy here. Now, it's not like it's been that way for a long time, but we learned that we were able to plug into an emerging sub-economy that was going to be able to work with us to make that happen. And we've been able to do that on a number of fronts. I mean, you look at how technology has kept up. Now it's like you walk out of a classroom at our building, the lights go off in, in about three minutes. Technology is there. You know, we capture all of our rainwater. We have the financial resources to put the infrastructure necessary in place to do that. We have the acreage and the space to be able to store it. Again, we're very privileged in that way. And we should take advantage of those privileges to go above and beyond, which is what we strive to do. I would love to have all of our power come from the sun. It hasn't become feasible yet because we have to have five times the number of solar panels and we would have to find a place to put those so that they could be uh, leverage the angles, but also be safe, uh, have them on campus safely so that you know, we can still be a school. So we're finding the challenge in our forays in environmental responsibility is how do we build sustainable partnerships? You can't be a solar actor in this problem, this global dilemma of the environment. Climate change is here. It's affecting all of us. You know, for me to make decisions, great about my personal life. For the organization to do so, wonderful. But actually, we're not doing a lot if we're not networking and connecting and building alliances with other like organizations, other organizations locally and globally to come around on this. That has been really hard. And that's one of our goals this year. You know, So we have a, an ER, an Environmental Responsibility Council. We've got facilities people on that council. We've got students on that council. We've got parents. We've got really our focus is how do we, we're doing a great job internally, but we've got to become a, if you will, a community, a local community and regional player within a network of organizations that are saying this matters to us and how can we do better i hope you're enjoying the inspiring schools podcast we're always on the hunt for guests with vision and a desire to share them if you'd like to be involved or know of someone with great ideas at a school near you please drop me an email to podcast at interactiveschools.com and my team will be in touch technology is going to help your Base issues because we've seen the size of computers go down from filling rooms down to, you know, powerful things that sit inside our pockets that there's more technology than sent man to the moon. So there's optimism in technology that will be an enabler, a lever to helping solve the problems, but it's not going to fix it. You know, we have to wait for technology to improve. But the fact is that you've made a brave leap forward. You know, it's not about waiting. You know, we have to take risks. We have to model risk taking to us, also our children, because we want them to be able to go and take risks. And some of them may not work, but it's great the fact that you're leading by example. You're not just talking about it. And I think that's really exciting to share. You recently retweeted an article from the International School Leader magazine, which spoke about losing leaders as they move on to new ventures. Why did this piece in the magazine resonate with you? And why is it such a big problem? Well, you know, I think it's a classic journalistic piece where the title of the article is not really what the article is about. The content of that piece, my first motivation in retweeting it, it's written by one of my mentors, somebody who invested a lot in growing me. And that is what that piece is about. It's about how do we grow each other? You know, Paul's addressing how does he grow his leaders so that they want to move on to their next challenge. And 
oftentimes that challenge is a vertical move. It's going to circle back, Simon, to this conversation that you and I are having, which is if you're a mission-driven organization, and we're a learning organization, we're learning and growth. This is what we do. That's the substance and the content of what we're about. Then we all have to lean into that. And so my responsibility to the people who report directly to me and to others throughout the organization is we are going to contribute to the growth and development of students. We have to contribute and empower the growth of ourselves. And so I think that has to permeate throughout the organization. If you're going to be true to that and you're going to do that well for young people, the adults, we have to do it well. So I retweeted that piece because it's a, as an article, it's a great sampler of the ways that as an organization, we can do that at the leadership level. And, you know, by the way, it is about growth. It's not about retention. Retention can be a result of things and retention should not be a result of loving the comfort because certainty and comfort are actually on the wrong side of growth. So we know we need some certainty in life. We know we need comfort in life, but you have to take perspective on those two things, which fundamentally, if you're too cozy with either one of them, you're not going to grow and develop and model that, which we do in schools, in the way that we would want to do that. There's an expectation that international schools and international teachers, you move around. That's the whole joy of it. You talked about your love of seeing the world. So, you know, to me, it's, it's almost a given that you will expect, you know, teachers to move, but you talk about growth. I think that's the key thing here. And it's not just about retention. There is an expectation with your entire community that is very transient. Families come in, they move because of work commitments, that job lasts a few years, and then they move on. And that's always a juggle. But you have a commitment, and it feels like a wider commitment to education to ensure that anybody in your stewardship as part of your community at any one point gets the opportunity to be the best person to grow and to take those skills on. And also in the hope that everything you're doing is going to attract new, enthusiastic, energetic teachers and and families who are going to come and be part of your community. So it's a constant recycling and an upskilling, which I find fantastic. Do you feel that schools do enough to train teachers about growth rather than just about retention and staying in the job? Yeah, probably not. A good mission statement for me is a container for really good conversations about what we're really about. Mission statements are not containers for agreeing about who we are. They're actually containers for disagreeing about who we are, right? They provide us the true north. You mentioned that at the beginning. That's the true north. But within that, there needs to be a lot of dialogue about how do we do things and what things look like. I think that when an organization, when a school has the appropriate edge points around which to have those conversations, I think it creates almost endemically philosophical discomfort. To some extent, that is necessary in schools. We have to have, at the highest level, we have to have some philosophical discomfort. Otherwise, it just becomes about, you know, wash, rinse, and repeat. We don't want to revert to that. Schools are, on the one hand, driven by routine, and we're held back by routine. Kids need routine. Humans need routine. But routine as a purpose becomes a very debilitating force. 
So growth is the positive side of that. It has to become about growth. And the problem with adults and educators talking about growth is that it means that we have to be vulnerable. Uh, if an organization is going to do that, the organization, I as a leader, the organization itself, we have to be vulnerable. We're going to get it wrong sometimes. Uh, one of the great things that I think we're going to come through this pandemic with is this, this has been an amazing opportunity for human beings, individuals, and the organizations that harbor them. This has been extremely vulnerable times, and we've had to live it, not just talk about it, uh, but actually live it. It's very, from an educator, mission-driven side, when you think about that, you have to look at, like, for example, the experience of the pandemic as such an amazing opportunity for us. In a sense, that uncertainty and ambiguity that we're going into each day and then the next week and next month, this is how kids grow up. This is their life, which is one of the reasons why they've been probably doing better than a lot of adults have. But to your point, I think there probably isn't enough conversation. There isn't enough conversation in enough systems about the importance of growth, that that's what we are about. And I think you have those conversations by articulating at the highest level that that is what you're committed to. Whatever words you put around that, I think that has to be clear. Then you can have those incredibly valuable and, in a sense, eternal conversations about what does this really mean to us and how am I connected to what the organization is doing? What does that mean for me in my life? I want to comment also, Simon, on what, you know, this challenge of, you know, again, I don't think growth is about pushing people away. And I don't think you necessarily grow by leaving. In international schools, we're a little hobbled by a cultural norm, which I think of as kind of professional tourism. Like I'm an international school teacher, so I'm going to go in here and teach for a little while and have that experience and then go over there and teach for a while. My issue with that way of approaching your career as an educator is that I'm not sure that the professional experience and what we're really trying to do as international schools, which have a very unique role, is enough in the center of that. And I think as a professional core in international schools, we don't talk enough about that. And I think it's one of our blind spots. And I think when you come to a place and if your goal is to leave, I'm not sure that that's going to empower the kind of growth that one might want. I mean, you talked about the pandemic actually being a pretty good testbed for trying new things, for taking risks because we had no choice. And actually, for centuries, humans have had their backs against the wall with, with lots of issues and problems. And actually, what we have seen is growth. And we've seen growth in courage and resilience, uh, determination to get it right. The communities come together, humans come together and go, we have to. This is a survival instinct we do. So there's lots of great things. I completely agree with you. And we've got to continue to grow. We can't go, we haven't learned anything. Let's go back to what we did. This is a perfect pivot point for us. I want to talk about your futures plan because the you know, American International School of Chennai has a futures plan with a number of strategies for schools' continued improvement. Why have a futures plan? How do you live into it? And how do you measure impact? Wow, great question. You know, so I think you're, you know, in terms of measuring impact, uh, you've got to, in education, you know, you've got to have lots of tools and lots of metrics, and you've got to be real comfortable moving along the quantitative to qualitative 
continuum. So I think the answer of how do you know your impact, I think, has a lot to do with, well, what specifically are we talking about? Why do we have a plan? So, you know, I think a lot about that question. And I think one of the things, when I hear people talk about plans are plans are bunk and why use them and be in the moment, I wonder if the idea of the plan from that vantage point is that it's kind of a recipe. And I don't see plans as recipes. I see plans as ideas, you know, within the orientation of a true north, however you have chosen to define it. There are going to be lots of ways that you can go there, lots of milestones and lots of place pins that you're going to be able to place, that you're going to be able to focus on and direct yourself to. Those are really, really important conversations for communities to have. And fundamentally, that's what a plan does. A plan empowers the opportunities for community members to envision how we're moving into, for example, in our case, it's our mission statement, our core values are coming along for the ride, and our vision for our ASC learner, which is what does it look like when kids and as adults are living the mission within our framework? So that's why I would say having a plan matters. I think the specific metrics you put around it, you've got to have common sense. You've got to have people who are willing to be vulnerable with results. And how do you do it? I was in previous positions. I was kind of steeped in the five-year plan, strategic planning model. And I learned a lot about why that is not appropriate for me and the way I see schools being able to live their mission. So we do things differently here. But fundamentally, there's lots of ways that a school, an organization and a school can organize the conversations and the necessary vision that you've got to bring to the table to move into and live in the mission. Would you say it's worse to attempt these ventures with unrealistic expectations and fail? rather than to not attempt them at all? If you've looked at what we strive to do here, you know that, you know, my answer to this question, which is you've got to shoot big. And I would say you've got to be realistic. I think bold statements or bold goals are really important as long as people who are involved in them and working on them believe in them, you know, because you're going to learn a lot if it's too bold or if it's even off mark or if the results are off mark, what's important there is that you're able to live with that and that you're able to feel comfortable having conversations about, well, what didn't work? What do we want to do better? I definitely think you've got to be, be brave, got to be courageous and go for it and then worry about let the results and any concern about the results be managed on the backside of that. Now, that's easier said than done. You know, I've got nine bosses. I have a board of directors, you know, who they expect results. I'm a boss and I've got people who report to me and I do. I think it's a matter of uh, how realistic, how appropriately complex is the ecosystem of, again, your metrics, your stories, your pictures of what does it mean to get things done and be accomplished. I think in schools, you have to err on the side of complexity. And I think that's very, very appropriate. I think people are complex. Kids are complex. I think we strive to simplify. We have to be careful about simplifying 
the things that really do need to complex and have faith in our ability to be comfortable with complexity. Yeah, and I suppose with unrealistic expectations, it's, it's often other people's thoughts about unrealistic expectations because when you're leading something of change, you believe it and you've done everything. You've put the systems, you've put the plan, you believe it's going to work. And that's where I think sometimes people fall short is that there will always be doubters, detractors who, who don't sign up to it because change is awkward. It's very uncomfortable for most people, but we have to drive through change. And I always revert back to, I remember seeing a poster growing up. I was big into sport. I used to follow a lot of American sports. There was a Wayne Gretzky poster, the Hall of Famer ice hockey player. He said 100% of shots not taken are missed. And I never forget that. I mean, I must have been 16 years old. I was going, wow, that just means that you're absolutely right. If we keep going, we will never do that. We'll never give it a go. We're just never going to know whether or not it succeeded. So. I think it's a great way to end the podcast. We've got to take risks. We've got to take chances. We've got to have some unrealistic expectations, but that's how change happens and that's how we we move on. Andrew, it's been a blast. Thanks ever so much for taking the time. Such a pleasure, Simon. Thank you. I so appreciate the opportunity to be here. I love a conversation like this. It's so important. And, you know, over the course of this conversation, we've talked right into and we've talked around some core tensions that are endemic to schools. And I think having, having those conversations and putting them up, bringing them up is so important. And again, I reiterate that I think the pandemic has given us the opportunity to do so much of that. Can't go back in time, got to forge ahead and the opportunities to see what we've learned and see how we're feeling and see what our needs are. These are not going to come back to us. We're going to come through this pandemic and we're going to look back on this time and say, oh, did we take enough of advantage of the vulnerability that was in the system to really think about how we're experiencing this and what the implications for kids and their learning and their education and their well-being would be. So thank you so much. You can connect with me on Twitter, Instagram, and via LinkedIn. Remember, keep inspiring schools. We need more future school thinking now.